Thanks, Kevin. Good morning. How are we doing? When I was in junior high, uh, something happened to me that changed my life forever. I walked into one of my classes, and I was handed this book called an algebra book, a pre-algebra book, and it was horrible. Um, now, if you're a math teacher or an algebra teacher, I'm not hating. I'm just saying, me no speaka, okay? I don't understand it. So, um, but I, I do remember, uh, I get this book, we get our assignment, we, we do everything, and then we're given homework because you math teachers are hardcore, man. And uh, we... I'm joking. Um, I, I take the book home, and I, my ADD kicks in, and I start to peruse the book, and I get to this, uh, this index that says answers. And I'm like, this idiot done gave me the wrong book, y'all, because I had the answers in the book. And so here's my thought is, is I'm thinking I'm going to look like a genius all year long, not thinking about the consequences of what that would be. And um, I, I'm just, uh, my thought was, I'm just going to write the right answer. I'm not going to show the work, and she's going to think this is way beyond him. He doesn't need this class. Kids are so smart, aren't they? Um, so I take, the, I take the math homework to uh, the class and turn it in, and, and she calls me to the desk, and I'm ready to get my accolade because I'm Einstein Jr. And um, she goes, hey, uh, I noticed that you didn't show your work. And I was like, no, I didn't. And uh, she said, Why? Well, then I caved. I was like, well, you gave me a book with all the answers in it. Why would I write that, right? She was like, all the books have the answers, sweetheart. It's not about if you know the right answer. It's about do you know why you got the right answer. So this morning, we're going to read a passage together that's actually written in reference and celebration of this uh, event that happened in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, But before we get started, I'm going to give you the answers to the homework. And I don't want you to get cocky, okay? I got really cocky. It didn't work out for me that day, okay? So I'm going to give you the answers uh, before we get started. Answer number one, God desires to be our strong tower. Answer number two, God desires to give us what we need. Answer number three, God desires for us to know him as God. Now, I've given you all the answers. That doesn't mean that you get to shut your notebook and walk out of here and say you went to church today because I'm not so much concerned that you know the right answer. What I'm concerned about is do you know why those are the right answers? So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 46. Uh, That's the scripture that we're going to focus on today. Uh, But before we do, I think it's good for us to set up some context because if you didn't know, this psalm was written about a time in history in the nation of Israel, about this event where God does some really, really cool stuff. Um, and that is uh, in 2 Kings chapter 18. Now, you don't have to flip there. I'm going to be referring to some of the scriptures there. You can go back and read that later. Um, but our, our focus is going to be Psalm 46 today. Uh, but I, I do need to give you some context as to what's going on so we can really understand what's happening here. 2 Kings chapter 18, we encounter this story about a king named Hezekiah. Uh, What we know about him is that he was a young king. He was 25 years old. Uh, He would go on to lead the nation of Israel for 29 years. King Hezekiah, the Bible tells us, was a godly man. He was a man that when when, when he came in, he began to um, destroy and burn false idols because under his watch, the nation of Israel was going to worship the one true God, the one true God that we worship here today. And in verse 5 of 2 Kings chapter 18, There's this scripture that speaks to the type of man that King Hezekiah is, and I could hope that someone would say this about me one day. It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord 
the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after his time. That's a big compliment. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything that he did. So this was a man that loved God. This was a man that served God. This was a man that probably had really great quiet times and prayed often. This was a man that was at church often. When the doors were open, he was probably there. And the the cool thing about it is that he did all that stuff for the right reasons because he wanted to be God's man. He wanted to honor God with this high position that God had given him. But just like any story, there comes a plot twist. Enter the Assyrian army. The Assyrians at that time were the most dominant army that the world had known, and they were slowly taking over city by city to um, uh, take the people into slavery and take over for the Assyrian people. Um, Hundreds of thousands of the most ferocious warriors that the world had ever seen would march into cities, and people wouldn't have a chance. And guess who's next? King Hezekiah and the nation of Israel. When he hears, when King Hezekiah hears about the Assyrians are coming and they're going to try to take the city, he starts to get a little bit nervous, and he starts to bargain with them. He says, listen, I'll give you money. I'll give you all of our gold. I'll give you all of our silver. He even goes to the temple of God and rips the gold off the banister of the door, and he tries to pay them off. And just like the good thugs that the Assyrians were, they took his money, but then they continued to try to lay siege to the city. And so, um, nevertheless, the the Assyrians, 180,000 strong, are camped out outside of the city walls. Shortly after, there's this meeting that ensues between Hezekiah's people and the Assyrian people, the chiefs of both of those armies, and the Assyrians just, they start getting really cocky. They're like, hey, listen, man, we've walked into city after city after city, and we have done nothing but take them over. We've burned their gods. And then there's this question that comes up, okay, that I think is a good question for us to consider in our heart today. The Assyrians look at the people of Israel, and they ask this question, and they want Hezekiah to answer this question. What are you trusting in that is making you so confident? What are you trusting in that is making you so confident? King Hezekiah runs out of this situation, and in all honesty, he feels helpless, hopeless, and scared. Now, with that in mind, we're going to jump into Psalm 46, verse 1 with the mindset that Psalm 46 was written about this time in history. Would you read with me in verse 1? God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Answer number one. God desires to be our strong tower. There's two words I want us to focus on as we start this morning. Those words are refuge and trouble. You may want to underline those words in the scripture. Refuge is referring to shelter or protection that one needs. And then trouble is referring to just being in a tight spot, your back's against the wall, and the outcome is not looking promising for you. Now, I want to share a story, and before I do, I want... I want there to be some understanding that I say it with great humility that I know that there's not a person in this room that probably wasn't touched by the story that I am about to share. And so um, wherever you are in that, just know that you can be here and it's safe, but this is just our story. 
Like many of you, in August of 2017, Jen and I experienced both of these words. We experienced trouble. We experienced refuge. We were at Walgreens in Alvin when the storm hit. I remember Jen had run into Walgreens because she was getting some Bluebell ice cream. Because if we were going to be locked in, we needed the essentials. And <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and the storm hits while she's in Walgreens, and I'm in the car like a good husband. And, uh, and uh, I remember, well, I need to drive home to go get it because I'll be honest, I can't see like five feet in front of the car. And so I drive over to where, to where she can like run out and jump in the car. And even like the five feet that she had to run, she was soaking wet. And we just had this look of like, we should, we should probably get home. And so little did I know that the streets to our house were already being flooded and they were already under a foot of water. And so we start to drive, we're in our little Ford Escape that's kind of close to the ground and the car starts to shake and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. And so I take a right and I get onto a higher street and we're driving and we're watching water go into buildings and we're starting to panic, right? Just like many of you guys went through. And uh, we get to the house, turn in the driveway and water kind of comes over the hood of the car and so I punch it out of there and we get to the top of the driveway and I'm I'm noticing like we open the door and we're in about a foot of water, if not a little more, and water's almost coming in the car. And I looked at Jen, and we're in full panic mode, and I look at her and say, babe, I think our house is going to flood. This is as bad as they said it's going to be. And so I call a friend of mine. I say, hey, man, uh, I cannot get the car out of the driveway. I need somebody to come get us. And so started three days of, us, of people rescuing people. Um, and so a group of guys come over to our house. Some of those guys are sitting in this room right now in a, in a bigger truck than I had, and uh, we are loading everything, but we're running around the house like before they get there, Jen and I, and we're just throwing stuff as high as we can. Some of those guys that showed up, they did the same thing with us. We're throwing stuff as high as we can. We're panicking. I'm crying. She's crying. The dog's freaking out. And I just have this thought in my mind, and I know it's from the Lord, stop and hug your wife. And so uh, she runs by me, and I grab her, and I kind of focus her in, and I just hug her and hold her. Now, what I can say is that we never took water. We got about four inches, uh, four to six inches of it coming into our house um, before the water started to recede. And if we weren't in a pier and beam house, we would have taken about two, two foot of water. Um, but in that moment where I felt like God said, hug your wife, uh, we were scared. We had no control. But as we hugged each other, I can remember it very vividly. I have this thought, you know what, we could lose everything, but I have her and we have him. I want to share a word with you that I want to unpack, and that word is intimacy. Now, there's some very intelligent people who have defined this, so don't make fun of me, but you can define intimacy as, into me you see. Kind of sounds like the word. Into me you see. You know, for that moment... I really believe we experienced intimacy. The beginning of chapter 19, after hearing that the Assyrians were not going to back down, King Hezekiah is scared. The biggest army in the world is closing in on his people that he was supposed to protect under his watch. The earth is quaking, the seas are choppy, there's trouble, there's no control. Trouble has pressed his back against the wall, and he runs to where? God. He runs to the temple, and he prays to the Lord. And I want to read to you a portion of the prayer 
that he prayed to God because I think it's one of the most authentic prayers I've read in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms and of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord. Bend down and listen. Like, I need you. Open your eyes. See. Listen to Shirinarib's word of defiance against the living God. This was the chief of the Assyrian army saying, listen, we're going to come in and we're going to do to you what we did to everybody else. And he's having this real authentic conversation. And then he just asked the most authentic question that he could. Is this true, God? Is it true that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations and we're next? They've thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and they've burned them. And then he has this moment of clarity because he trusts the Lord. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. They were idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Of course. But now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. And then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. King Hezekiah has this moment with the Lord of intimacy. Do you remember the answer to number one? God's desire is to be our strong tower. Like he desires that. He desires for us to run to him and be authentic. But remember, it's not important that you know that that's the right answer. What's more important is that you know why that is the right answer. The why to why God wants to be our strong tower is intimacy. He desires intimacy with us. If you were to read through Psalm 46, you would notice that there's this word in there that kind of splits it into three parts, and it's called selah. Your Bible may say interlude, okay? It's been debated through the centuries kind of what those words mean, but they've kind of rested on this definition of to just stop and reflect on what the Scriptures say. And so I would love for us to do a group activity this morning. Introverts, don't freak out. I'm not going to make you interact with anybody, okay? But we're going to take a Selah and we're going to reflect because I think God would want us to do this. If you would trust me, would you close your eyes and I want to give you a couple of prompts to think through. And as you think through these things, I'm going to reread to us the first three um, verses of chapter 46 of Psalms. But as I do, I want you to think of a time where God really was your strong tower where your back was against the wall and he was the only one that could step in and do anything. Close your eyes, think of that moment, and as you do, I want to reread Psalm 46 over us. This God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the seas. Let the oceans roar and foam let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to think on this fact. That the moment that you just thought about, where God stepped in and was your strong tower, he did that so that he could share intimacy with you. That moment where your back was against the wall, he was with you. What a gift that is to think on. Circumstances change. But God's desire for his people never will. 
His desire is to be a high tower and our refuge because he wants to be with us. Into me, you see. You can open your eyes. Let's keep reading verse 4 of Psalm 46. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Answer number two. God's desire is to give us what we need. The scene in 2 Kings chapter 2 shifts. The people are confined because the Assyrian army have surrounded the city and have camped out there. Water was a precious commodity in Palestine, especially in Jerusalem, because one thing you may not know is Jerusalem was one of the only ancient cities in Israel that was not built next to a water source. And so they had to go a lengthy ways to go get water. Well, if there's an army around, um, that would be kind of hard to do. But wisely, because King Hezekiah loved his people, he had an underground water system run to the city from the nearest water source that was hundreds of feet away um, One of the first things the Assyrians do when they come into cities is they cut the water source because water means life, which I think is so cool because how many times does Jesus say, come and drink and you'll have life and life to the fullest? Um, No water to the city means that people would eventually be driven out of the walls. Eventually, the people of Jerusalem would have had to submit to the demands of the enemy if they wanted to live. And I was reading this scripture and there was this this thought that came to my mind, actually a show that Jen and I really enjoy watching. And I want to show you the clip of this show, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I do in my heart. Um, And then I I think it kind of perfectly uh, signifies what Jerusalem had uh, that the Assyrians didn't know. It's it's, it's the show Friends, by the way. Yeah, so, oh yeah, now you're a glad to be a church. Uh, All right, here we go. Hey. hey, check it out. This is unbelievable. Joey has been holding his breath for almost four minutes. <laughs> Dude, are you trying to kill me? You're not laughing hard enough. Friends, is funny. Just like Joey, the people of Jerusalem had something the Assyrians didn't know about. God's people had a source that the enemy had seriously underestimated. When I was growing up, uh, there were these moments, and parents, you're going to be able to relate to this. There were these moments uh, where I just wanted my mom to see it from my point of view, okay? Like when I was a teenager, because teenagers are super smart. I love you guys. You are so smart. But I, I would like I would say something to her or a situation was going on in school and I would be like, Mom, you know, you're trying to be my parent right now, but I really just want you to be my friend. I want you to be my friend. Well, here's what my mom said. She was quick to let me know that she had plenty of friends in her life <laughs> and that she was called to be my parent first and foremost. All the parents in here are like, yes, preach it. Turn left and talk. Here's the reality. She will always be mama, right? Like mid-30s, she's still mama. We have to have hard conversations sometimes, but she's still mama because that's what mamas do. They mama, okay? And mamas are a blessing to their children. 
But the reality is she was quick to let me know that as my parent, it wasn't her job to necessarily give me what I wanted. It was her job to give me what I needed. And it was through these moments in our relationship where our, our relationship as mother and son grew because there were these moments where I would finally shut up and, and listen, and I wouldn't tell her that I was shutting up and listen, but I would look back and I would say, you know, she really does know what's best for me. She really is looking out for what's best for me. Do you know what happens when we get to this point with the Father? There's this scripture in Philippians chapter 4 that kind of expresses what I'm talking about. Um, we're going to read 6 and 7, and then we're going to skip to 19. But uh, it's this reality that we can be authentic and real and go to our Father just like I would with my mom. So here, here's the scripture. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You know God wants to hear everything? Like, just reflect on that for a second. God wants to hear everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Now, before, um, oh yeah, which exceeds anything we can understand, his peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, the cool part, and before we go to 19, it doesn't say pray what you think God will want to hear. It says Pray to the Lord what you need, and you're going to have peace. I think it's so cool that God steps into those prayers, as selfish as they can be sometimes, and goes, you know what? I'm really enjoying this right now. And then verse 19, it says that if we're faithful to do that, that this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs, not all of your wants, all of your needs, from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. King Hezekiah is deep in prayer with God, and he is telling God this. Listen, you are God. We are your people. We believe that you are way bigger than these jack wagons trying to come in here and destroy us. But if I'm being honest, you're going to have to step in and do something because I don't have another card to play. Could you just see it from my point of view? Do you know what happens when we're able to get to this place with God? Don't miss it. And in 2 Kings, like a faithful parent, God answers him. And his answer is going to sound a little bit crude, but I want you to understand, God is trying to give us perspective. He's trying to give King Hezekiah some perspective, just like our parents have to do sometimes. 2 Kings 19, verse 22, Who have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you just raise your voice? Whom did you look at with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. Hey, don't, don't forget, you're talking to Dad. Oh, what a gift it is that God lets us come to him with everything and then reminds us, oh, hold on, I'm dad, hold on, I, I hear you, I want to hear you. Do you know what happens when we get to this point with the father? And then in verse 27, he says, I, I know you well. I know where you stay, when you come, when you go. I know the way you've raged against me. My dad put it this way, like you were the, I was the first one they handed you off to out of the oven. I know you, kid. Okay? Good country way of saying things. <laughs> but as a loving father, he bends down and he says to King Hezekiah, his armies won't enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside of its gates with their shields or build their banks against the wall to try to climb over that thing. 
I love this. The king will return to his own country on the same road that he came in here on. And he will not enter this city, says the Lord, for my own honor and my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember, I'm God. Answer number two, God's desire is to give us what we need. But just like answer number one, when he gives us what we need, it's not just that he's showing off. Yeah, he could do that. He's powerful. He gives us what we need because he's a good father that desires intimacy with his people. Here's what I know. What I know is that King Hezekiah wasn't sitting there with his back against the wall because he wanted to be, right? He didn't freak out like this because he wanted to be sitting in this situation just like us. We don't want to be pressed like this. We don't want to get the phone call that changes everything. We don't want to be sitting in the ER. We don't want to go to the doctor to get answers. We don't want our kids to walk away from us. We don't want these things to happen. In fact, a lot of us, we get to the point, just like King Hezekiah, where we have to yell, you're going to have to do something. But my fear, my fear is that the only time that we truly experience intimacy with God is in these moments. And like a faithful dad... God steps down into the chaos and into the trouble of life. Do you know what happens when we get to this point with God? Into me you see. Intimacy. So I want to take Selah number two. Interlude number two. And I want us to close our eyes. And I want us to think for a moment when God gave us what we needed. May not have ended up the way that we wanted it to. Hear that humbly from my heart may have hurt, but let's think of a moment where God supplied us everything that we needed, even if what we needed was one more breath to get through the day. And I want to reread verse 4 through 7 over us. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. He's here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Answer number three. God desires for us to know him as God. Here's how the story ends. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. The night, that night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and he killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Can you imagine walking out of the city and seeing that? Your back's against the wall. Can you imagine getting to the point with God where you're screaming, you got to do something, God. 185,000, done. Psalm 46, the end of it, gives us a picture of what that moment may have been like for the people of Israel. So picture in your mind, if you're walking outside the city walls, and this is what you see. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes the war to end. 
throughout the earth. He breaks the bow. He bends the spears. He burns their shields with fire. And then I love this. This is a verse we all know. Be still. Like, don't jump up. Don't celebrate. Like, can you imagine that moment when they're walking out and 185,000 people are sitting there dead? Be still. Know that I'm God. Know that I did this long before you got here. This isn't an angry God. This is a loving God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. God desires for us to know him as God. You know, the funny thing is that this was just a foreshadowing of a war that was coming. 700 years after this, a baby was born in Bethlehem. That baby's name was Jesus. This baby was God in flesh, Emmanuel. God came to earth, Jesus, to wage this same kind of war on sin. And we as humanity, we have our backs against the wall. Sin has done a number on us, and we are doing everything we can to survive this thing. John 10.10 says that that enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But then God... Jesus, Emmanuel, steps into the chaos and finishes that verse, but I have come so that you may have life. You may have life to the fullest. Not just going to save you, but I'm going to give you a full life. And he says, if you'll just trust me, the God who made you, I will win this war for you. The war was waged on sin when Jesus died on the cross, and it was won when he rose from the grave. You hear me? And it was through this sacrifice that he offered deep relationship with God. Into me, you see. God sent Jesus to win a war that we could not win. Emmanuel. You know what the word Emmanuel means? Let's Christmas it up a little bit. God with us, right? A time that I got to experience this. Um, before we got married, um, uh, actually before we were engaged, my, my wife and I... Um, we had to have a talk that I did not want to have with her. Um, and so I decided we were going to go down to Galveston. And uh, I needed to share some things that if she was going to get into this with me, she just needed to know. And um, we sat on the seawall, and anxiously I'm trying to talk to her about some of this stuff. Because I needed her to know how broken I was. Because here's the honesty. I was giving her a chance to run if she wanted to. There were just things that I fought. And I, and I tell her those things, and we sit there for about an hour. And what I love about my wife is that she didn't church it up. Well, have you, have you done this, and have you done that, and have you, what about this, my wife, in one move, tucks her arm under mine, and she just sits there with me. God could have done this thing any way he wanted to. But you know what he chose to do? He chose to come be with us. He chose to step out of heaven and come be with us to wage this war. Intimacy. So that we could have deep relationship with him. 
Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of that sin is death. But God won the war that we could not win. Romans 5.6, that even while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid death's penalty for us. All we have to do is receive it. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. That all we have to do is believe and then surrender leadership of our life to him. Intimacy. Why would God do this? Why would he step out of perfection into this skin, into this stuff, into this mess? Intimacy. Because he desires intimacy with you. So be still and know that he did this for that reason. We're going to take Salem number three and the band's going to come back up. And we're going to reflect. And for some of us, we may need to be still. We may need to be still and know that he is God, that he is powerful, that he's the God that killed 185,000 Assyrians. But he is here with us, and he desires intimacy with you. Some of us, we may need to worship that big God. He's a God that deserves to be worshiped. Why? Intimacy. Into me, you get to see. And my fear is that some of us, we're not going to let people in, but I'm just begging you. Would you trust God? Would you trust God that if you let him in, like me and my wife sitting at Galveston, that I got to experience just a, a taste of what God is to me? He's not going to ridicule you. He's not going to say, well, of course you're horrible. No, he's going he's to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. And out of that, into me, you see Father, what a, what a gift it is that you could have done this thing any way you wanted to, but you chose intimacy. You died on a cross. You bore death's penalty for our sin. You went through more than we could fathom, and it was because you desired intimacy with your people, that you had to fix what was broken. And I pray that the brokenness within this room would submit to that God. That we would know that you're a God who desires intimacy even in our brokenness. In fact, you would rather us bring our brokenness than this dressed up version of ourselves. I pray that we could do that freely. In Jesus' name.